Hello, and welcome to the latest edition of the FT Advisor podcast. Uh, my name is Damien Fantato, the Deputy Editor of Financial Advisor. Uh, just when you thought you might have had enough of Mifid 2, we're going to spend a little bit more time talking about it, even though it's been in force for the better part of a, uh, more than a year. Here to talk to us uh, about it is Daniel Schlepfer, the Chief Executive and President of Select Vantage. Hello, Daniel. Hello. Thank you for having me. No problem at all. So one of the things that you're um, interested in is how costly Mifid 2 is to implement and the effect that it has on uh, market competition. So what do you think its impact has been so far, uh, a year and four months? In? From a cost perspective, I think we have a direct cost in terms of the research and the effort that we have to put in to make sure that we are following the rules and doing everything properly. The bigger concern I have is that our brokers have a significant cost to adapt to the new rules. And they spend a lot of time going through them, trying to figure them out, understand them. I don't think they fully understand a lot of them still. And that cost just gets pushed onto us in mm -hmm. many ways, right? So what you're seeing is more and more and more brokers showing effectively much higher cost bases and much lower revenues. And I think the revenues are based on the uncertainty of these regulations as well. Mm -hmm. And your business, which is based across the pond uh, in the USA, so this is rippling across... We're based in Canada. Yeah. We have offices here in Europe as well, though. And this ripples everywhere. I mean, mm -hmm. Europe is a massive part of, of capital formation and, 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 and trading in the world. What happens in North America is people do not want to maintain two sets of infrastructures and two sets of plans. So they're trying to see if they what will apply in the U.S., what will not apply in the U.S., what will apply in Canada. We recently saw in Canada the regulators go after uh, an NFX platform because it hadn't registered properly under the MIFID II rules. And I don't even know if anybody knows exactly what they need to do and when they need to do it. So it's more, again, just everybody would like some certainty. And I think how it creeps in across the pond is what people are worried about. Mm -hmm. uh, so do you expect that other regulators are likely to follow suit uh, with what the European Union has done? I don't think so. I think certain elements of it, possibly. I personally don't feel the American regulators really follow anybody. They kind of march to their own uh, beat. So, But they will have to listen. If, if the participants in the U.S., uh, th these are all global businesses now, so if the participants that are operate in Europe have to make significant changes and they don't want to have two sets of system and two sets of, of, of policies and procedures, they may pressure U.S. regulators to give them some kind of exemptions or to, to make the rules more in line on certain processes. But... Uh, I suppose one of the aims of MIFID II was to encourage more cost transparency for investors, for uh, people who advised, so that pe people know what they're spending their money on. Um, I suppose those sound like laudable aims. Yeah, I mean, the aims were good and the ideas were good, but what we're seeing, you know, 15 months into it is that the results, the unintended consequences are, are, are in some cases the complete opposite of what they wanted. So if protecting sort of the people that are retiring and the money in their funds, uh, the money, the, the funds in their retirement accounts mm -hmm. and the stocks that they have and the transactions that they do, if a broker's cost base goes up, they don't just eat the difference. They, what they'll end up doing is raising the prices to the end investor. So is the transparency that they're getting worth the additional cost that comes with it? Uh, I don't know. And I, and I think you take a look. MIFID II was put in to create more opportunities for small and mid-cap companies, and to and, and especially when it comes to, to research, it's done the complete opposite. We've seen less and less and less research being put out on small and mid-cap companies. We're one of the largest traders in the world of small and mid-cap companies. You see less people trading them. You see more funds flowing into ETFs and more passive investments and less into individual companies, which was the complete opposite of the plan 
that they had. You take a look at what they were looking to do when it came to the dark pools. They wanted to to cap what would happen in dark pools. They created a, a regime called a systematic internalizer, the SI regime. And now you see more trading going into the SIs and the dark pools combined than were in the dark pools in the first place. So did it really solve the problem? Mm-hmm. And you imagine that this is going to drive some firms out of out of business? Oh, yeah. I mean, it's just, you, you can already see it. I mean, you take a look at, at the, the financial service industry. We had a lot of weak players in this industry to begin with. And when you saddle them with a lot more costs in an environment where there's a lot less revenue to be had, I think that you're going to see some of them have problems. We saw issues at some of the German banks recently. Um, I, I've, I've heard from, from people that I deal with that some of the small mid-tier firms in Europe just cannot keep up with it, and you're going to start to see some of them just just close operations or shuts parts of their business and give it to people that have the scale to handle it. But you will see there will be a shift. I have a, a theory that the top 10 brokers in, in, in Europe, there isn't enough revenue to support all of them. So they some of them will have to close. And it's sort of a, right now it's a bit of musical chairs among staff members moving between all of these different banks, just taking the same revenue dollars around and around in circles. Eventually, people will look at the financials and, and realize that it's just not going to work. I mean, it's going to be a huge down year this year for a lot of these banks. And do you imagine that's going to be the same? The same is going to be true of companies outside of Europe, or are they just going to decide, well, we're going to take our football and play elsewhere? I, I think that because it's so uncertain here and because people don't exactly know what to do, and, and I mean, Brexit, it's not just MIFID too, Brexit is a part of it as well, I think people just aren't investing in an area with uncertainty. The CEO of Barclays was on a, a television program a couple of months ago, and he said his biggest area for growth was going to be in the U.S. Mm-hmm. It's not even going to be here, right? So I, I just think you'll see a lot more. There's a lot more business and a lot more growth in the U.S. markets I've seen more recently, the Asian markets, but Europe has suffered due to the to the uncertainty. Uh, and you mentioned Brexit. Uh, what other effects is that having? Again, the biggest thing I've seen is that when I'm trying to deal with, with my vendors or brokers, they or, or the, even the exchanges – they have absolutely no idea what the effect is going to be. Like they have, so, you know, they're, they're, every time I ask them a question about it, they have no answer. And then every time we're trying to get something done, nothing gets done. Forgetting about Brexit, if I have a, another project, the answer is we can't get it done because we're dealing with Brexit. And I said, so what are you dealing with if you can't give me answers? And they says, oh, we're just dealing with telling everybody that calls in that we have no idea what's going on. Like that's what they <laughs> And now you have an extension where you're going to have people that, again, like all it is is just a longer period of uncertainty and people aren't going to put like these businesses have big capital investments mm-hmm. uh, and there's programming involved into all of the the computer systems that do most of the trading and back office systems they aren't going to put the investment in to make changes and make them better if they have no idea what the outcome is going to be so effectively most of my phone calls go that they have no information for me and we can't do any new business until we have more information mm-hmm. well if it's any consolation nobody knows anything so yeah. <laughs> you know we're all in the dark together. I suppose um, the UK is often described as a, a pro-market counterweight in the EU in the sense that it pulls EU regulation in a more sort of market-friendly direction. So there's talk about when the UK leaves, there's going to be things like a transaction tax and stuff like that. Does that concern you, other people in the market? Well, I mean... It doesn't, it doesn't. And you already have transaction taxes everywhere. I mean, almost everywhere. And people don't really see this. But you take a look at the U.S., you have an SEC fee. It's effectively a transaction tax. Here you have a transaction tax in the U.K., the stamp tax. You can get around it in certain ways uh, if you're providing liquidity or you're, you're, you're trading a lot in the market. The unintended consequence of the transaction tax will that spreads will widen. What, people, what, what a lot of the average investor doesn't understand is 
you still end up paying the tax. The, the trading firms aren't paying it. The spreads will widen. You will get worse value on the trades that you're getting by the amount of the tax, and it will be borne by the end investor. And if the trading firms cannot provide the liquidity and trade at the levels they are with that tax, you'll just have less opportunities to invest your money, and it'll cost you more to do it. So I think I would be afraid of transaction tasks. Would it be the end of our firm? No, because we trade in, in markets all over the world that already have these things. It's how is it implemented? Is it implemented equally? You know, you technically have one right now in Italy. We technically have one right now in France. And, and usually the brokers try to figure out a way to get around it. But as long as it's put in fairly and as long as you know, they're willing to pull it back if it doesn't get the outcomes they want, then, then that's okay. Mm-hmm. Are there any opportunities for your company, for others in Method 2? Actually, w- w- the, the funny thing for us is without doing any more, m- any changes at all in terms of how we did the trading, the broker handled a lot of it. The first week our business went down 30%. By week three, our business was up 30%. It's maintained being up about 30 35% over the 15 months, which is great for us, especially since the European markets are doing less volume. And our for, for another unattended con- consequence, it's our, some of our transaction costs have actually come down. But we didn't do anything differently. This was just the result of what occurred. So there are opportunities, and there has to be. I mean, we've seen the SIs grow, so they've seen opportunities. And you've seen a lot of, you know, there's opportunities for fintech companies creating reporting tools and things like that for the banks to use. But I haven't seen any obvious opportunities for us other than just doing what we did. It kind of worked out better for us. Let's say I was to sort of put you in charge of uh, of Method 2. What specifically would you change, or would you just scrap the whole thing? Or? Look, it's, it's again, I don't think that the intentions were, were, were not bad. The intentions were very good. They tried to do too much. They built this giant piece of legislation over a decade and then tried to implement it in one shot. And we're 15 months in. We haven't seen a lot of data with a lot of, of being able to review it. And I've heard the argument that we're too early into this. We shouldn't be able to see it. Well, you were forced to be compliant 15 months ago. There's a lot of data that we could be looking at to see if this is achieving what you want to achieve. I don't disagree with with the objectives. I just disagree with putting that much burden onto the industry and and then not checking to see periodically how we were doing. And I don't necessarily know if they even know what success is. Mm -hmm. I don't know if before they put it in, did anybody come up with, these are the metrics that we expect to happen after 12 months and after 24 months and after 36 months, and we don't see those will make changes. I haven't seen that anywhere, what they expected to be a positive outcome. Mm. So I think that what I would have done was differently was I would have, it's got to be a bit more of an iterative and a more collaborative process, and success needed to be defined before we put it in so we know what to look for. Mm-hmm. And on the competition side of things, do you think that's um, it's also having a negative or positive impact? Oh, it's, it's definitely hurting from a competition you mean my competition or competition within the industry? Within the industry, I think that it's make the the uncertainty in Europe is making Europe less attractive. I think, and and it's not just Mifid. As I said, it's also the Brexit side of things. It's you know I, I spoke to I, I, I spoke to a bunch of brokers while I'm here and prime brokers, and they basically said they there there isn't as much activity because people are effectively keeping their powder dry, waiting to see what happens. And I think that uncertainty is never good for markets. And this Europe now has a two very very large clouds of uncertainty. Mm-hmm. Do you think there's a likely to be some sort of reassessment of it? I mean, there is talk about a MIFID 3, which has been prompted by maybe Brexit. Do you think that would be a good thing? I mean, I think there, to reassess it? There has to be. You have to, re- you have to reassess. It's, it's about looking. You, you put in 
all of these rules and put in all of these regulations, what did you expect to happen and is what you expected to happen happening? And I think the biggest effects are the, the significant increase in costs, the, and, and the end investor is probably no better, in fact, in many cases worse. You're creating a bunch more firms that are too big to fail, or, or the same guys are getting even bigger and too big to fail, and you're seeing w- almost no competition from smaller participants. It's too, co- it's too costly to, to compete. You're not seeing as many firms go public, like the IPO market in, in Europe is, is, is virtually non-existent. Mm-hmm. And with no new stocks coming online, you're just going to push more and more people into passive investing. So it hasn't worked out as they expected, even though the intentions were good. And I think you have to revisit it to make sure it's working. Mm. But I suppose a lot of the focuses of Mifid II were on costs, on cost disclosure. So I suppose if I was being a devil's advocate, I could say that more people in passive investing uh, might not necessarily be a bad outcome for Mifid II. That's possible. I mean, if that's something that if that's something that the world thinks is better, that you know we we have a bunch of major fund comp- companies that that offer a bunch of passive invested products that people put their money into. The question I have is, those passive invested products are based on stocks, right? They're based on companies that make up the baskets that make up those products. If you have less and less companies, then we, do we just not have everybody putting money in the same stocks? Yeah. Probably. Right. And I don't know if that's necessarily a good thing. It's a bit of a herd mentality, you know, but. If that if we think that's a good thing, well, that's that's technically where it's going. That would be a negative effect for our firm because we generally do better trading in individual names than we would in broad-based indexes. We've seen, you know, in in other parts of the world, the IPO markets have been relatively relatively solid. Canada over the last year and a half had a great great run on junior names. So there, there's always opportunities for us. But here, that would be something that would make it less interesting for us. But you're not concerned about because Canada might be is in many ways is um, is a bit more. European in in many respects than the USA is is there talk in Canada about addressing similar issues? No, the, 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 the we have some unique issues that that I think the regulators are looking at in Canada. We also because so many of our names and our a lot of our important names are dually listed on the U.S. exchanges. We have to in some cases follow the thoughts of the U.S. on how we handle certain things, or we just become less competitive mm-hmm. in North America. I mean. It, 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 we're constantly dealing with the fact that some of our largest names trade in New York and trade in Toronto, and if a change happens in New York that makes it more competitive from a trading perspective, we'll lose a lot of the domestic order flow to, to New York. So we have some unique problems. One, we, we try to not be like the U.S. in the way that we, we put in the policies, and I think the Canadians do a very good job in that. We didn't have really much of a financial crisis. We didn't have a lot of those issues. But I think that we're, we're still tied in pretty heavily with, with the way the U.S. markets work, and we do have to be a follower as much as we'd like to be a leader. Mm. So the EU is likely to remain on its own uh, in terms of MIFID II? I, I think. I mean, I think so. I think the, 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 the biggest thing will be if the burden on, the, on the, the firms is so big and they have to make all of these changes, they may lobby certain regulators that this is the way it should be so they don't have to run two separate sets of, of things. That becomes extremely costly. Mm-hmm. If I have to do something in one market and then a completely different thing, something else, from a reporting and back office system, you know, you need sets of developers and sets of back office people on both sides of the pond handling all of this. You can't centralize and get that economies of scale by trading globally. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, theoretically, you could get to the point where your uh, companies in, in the USA are effectively complying with MIFID to first and foremost because it's the most stringent most demanding set of regulations 
Exactly. That's mm-hmm. that's the point. And and because that you've already you're starting to see firms discussions of things have to be done by this date. They have to have done or there'll be fines. I think they've started looking at, at finding people. They started finding people. And I think that if you want to do business in Europe, you're going to have to do these things anyway. So I think that because they're complying in Europe, exactly, they'll already say, hey, we're doing this. Can we get an exemption for the way we're handling it? Mm-hmm. Okay. Daniel, uh, thank you very much. Thank you. And thank you very much for tuning in and drop by next week for the next edition of the FT Advisor podcast. Thank you. Bye. Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince, they exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns. Here at Bellingcat, we get to the bottom of things. From a global crisis to an underreported event, we find the facts using publicly available tools and resources, uncovering what is hidden on and below the surface. We connect the dots using social media posts, satellite images, and public records, and empower others to do the same by sharing how we do it. The ability to do so is only made possible by our readers, supporters, and community members. Care to join us? Learn how at bellingcat.com.